0: And thanks, Robin, for your forgiveness and accepting Dan where he was. I was going through a hard time myself um, just not that long ago, and it was Dan and Robin who I reached out to, who you guys were there, and I'm just so thankful that you've been a part of this body and that we get to journey together. You've taught me how to um, have fun in marriage, and we have secretly watched you for a lot of years. Love on each other. And one thing I've learned, and I'll just pass this on to everybody. You know, if you want to grow in an area, find someone that's doing it better than you and watch them. Study them. I wanted to get good grades when I was in Bible college. And there was a guy on, a, on my floor, he happened to be our RA, Paul Herkman. And Paul, Paul studied the Greek. He would spend all night long drinking coffee refill after coffee refill at the local Perkins. And I knew that if I was going to learn the Greek that um, I could learn from Paul. And so I would join him on many of those Perkin trips. I wasn't a coffee drinker then, but I had my share of water refills. And we stayed up all night until the school opened in the morning where we could go back um, because they would lock down the school after a certain hour and you weren't welcome back into the school. So we would stay out all night and just doing um, exercises in Greek over and over. And we both ended up getting an A in that class. But it's funny because I look at where he's at now. I look where I'm at now. He is a part of an awesome um, ministry that is raising money for missions. Very well known in the Christian community. Um, And he helped me to grow. And there are people like Paul. There are people like Dan and Robin in my life who have had an impact. And so I encourage you, find people like that. Mentors, individuals that are doing good in an area that you want to do good in, get together with them regularly, have a cup of coffee, develop a relationship with them, and you'll see yourself grow, too. How many know that's good stuff? Amen. Amen. So we're at the second to last um, chapter of the story series, and I would like to have the ushers come at this time and and hand out the notes. If you didn't get the notes when you came in, just raise your hand, and they'll get you a copy of the notes and a pen if you need one. And we're going to follow along this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 through 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. So If you could open it with me in your Bibles or on your smartphone or tablet um, in your Bible app to those, that book of the Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's one of three of Paul's pastoral epistles. It's found toward the end of your Bible. When you start seeing Roman numerals, you'll know that you're close. <laughs> So next Sunday we're gonna um, finish up with a talk on heaven. How many know that would be a good talk? Amen. And so I knew Matt was gonna raise his hand. He just led a small group not that long ago from Randy Elkhorn entitled Heaven. And so next Sunday we'll be also announcing the winner of the selfie contest uh, contest for the Kalahari gift card. How many know that's gonna be awesome? So if you would like to be a part, um, have a chance still to be a part of being chosen for that, you can still upload a picture of a selfie of you and your family together reading the story Bible to our NBC Facebook page. Let's pray before we get into the word this morning. Father, I just thank you for this intimate setting this morning. I thank you for just the very simple, stripped-down, acoustic worship time that we had together. I thank you for Judah and his talent in bringing us into the presence of God. I thank you, Lord, that we could gather together on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, counting our blessings, having so much to be thankful for. And Lord, that we can be together with those people that mean the most to us, our church family. And I just pray, Lord, that you would make alive, Lord, the words that are spoken this morning, that you would have your way in this service, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to set the scene today for the message. Chapter 30 is entitled, Paul's Final Days. The Apostle Paul, you don't have to look very far into the New Testament to start reading some of his words. Many of the scriptures that we have memorized as children or have heard and been impacted by today were probably written by the Apostle Paul. Paul wasn't a great apostle, but his life wasn't always great. Here in the setting for the scriptures that we're going to read this morning, Paul is probably around 62 to 68 years of age. Scholars put him in that range, probably more towards the latter end, probably around 67 Paul's facing his second imprisonment. He's charged with hating humankind, kind of changing the culture, usurping the secular, kind of pagan authority that existed in that day. Paul's imprisoned in a holding cell within the lower dungeon cell of the Mamertine prison. One of the historians called it the house of darkness. They went on to say that its neglect, darkness, and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. I did some research on the Mamertine dungeon prison in Rome. And you can go to YouTube and kind of take your own little guide through it and and see the pillar where they, they thought that Paul might have been chained to along with Peter. They show this kind of hole in the ground where the prisoners were just thrown into this lower level of darkness. Paul's sitting there in that dark place awaiting trial, and he doesn't expect acquittal. He expects to be found guilty. He knows that his days are numbered and his execution is at hand. Though he's preached to tens of thousands of people, Paul's in that dungeon cell. He's cold, and he's in the dark. He knows what's coming soon, no surprises there. They have already executed Peter. They crucified him upside down on a cross. But being a Roman citizen, Paul will have a quicker death. He will be taken down the Ostian Road, a couple miles outside of the city, and beheaded along the roadside. Believers in Rome will claim his body and they'll give him a decent burial. You can ask at a moment like this, what more can the Apostle Paul say? What more of an impact can Paul have? Timothy, Paul's protege and spiritual son, has been entrusted with overtaking his work of spreading the gospel. He has been listed as Paul's successor. It was in the Mamertine prison that Paul was allowed a visit by Luke. Luke, we know as the author of the book of Acts, is one of Paul's trusted companions. And Paul dictates to Luke these words that we're going to read in just a moment to Timothy, his son in the faith. I want us to focus in on the part of those final words of Timothy because in a sense, the truth of those words that Paul Dictated were not only meant for Timothy, but they were meant for you and I as well. You see, like Timothy, we are all Paul's successors. We've all been entrusted with spreading the gospel and fulfilling the great commission that was given by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the great commission goes like this All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many know that commission, that mission is still for us today? That's what we're to be about as believers in Jesus. So if you're with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 10, I want you to imagine Paul sitting in his dungeon cell, dictating these words to Timothy, but also keep in mind as we read them that they are the words to us too. And Paul tells not only Timothy, but you and I and believers after us, what we need to do to live lives of eternal significance. And number one, Paul says, keep enduring. Keep enduring. You, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to give live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you have a pen, underline that. That's a truth. If you want to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you live out that faith, you will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. That's perseverance. That is the endurance that Paul is telling Timothy to keep enduring. Continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. As I mentioned last week, when Tanya McDonald gave her, her story testimony, it's important as parents, as grandparents, to bring up our children the things of God, to expose them to the scriptures even while they're young, and to even more than that, to take it one step further and encourage them to memorize those scriptures, hide them in their heart, because they're going to go through times of persecution, temptation, and different things of the such where they're going to be able to recall by the Holy Spirit will help them to recall those scriptures. And how many know that they will keep them a lot of times from sin? They'll encourage them. To keep going and not give up. So Paul says, continue what you have learned and become convinced of. He also talked about in those times of infancy. So it shows us that Paul and Timothy had spiritual examples around them. Paul says believers will be persecuted and should expect trials and tribulations. How many know that storms and tough times go with the territory of being a believer. Obeying Jesus in a fallen, sin-filled world is going to mean that you are counter-cultural, that you will go against the flow. It means that you will automatically stand in opposition to many popular or politically correct choices. And that can be hard at times. But Paul tells Timothy, And you and I, to persevere through such persecution, to follow his example of endurance, and to depend upon God. Trials will come your way, but in spite of them, continue in the things that you've heard and have become convinced of. At work, you may be expected to compromise your convictions for the sake of the sale. Paul would say, keep enduring. In your friendships, you may be made fun of for your faith maybe for a conviction that you have. But Paul would tell you, keep enduring. In your dating relationship, you may be pressured from the outside to commit acts that you shouldn't have, to go beyond boundaries that you have set. Paul would say, keep enduring. In your marriage, you may be tempted to stop putting the needs of your spouse above your own, but don't do it. If you want to show the world how wonderful a marriage can be when lived out according to God's plan, keep enduring. I got a haircut recently. I think she cut a little bit more than what I wanted her to, (laughs) especially in the front. I think it's because I interrupted her cigarette break. And um, she was going out and I said, she said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, can I get a haircut? And she's like, I guess. And I apologized and apologized to her and said, I'm sorry for taking your break. She said, it's been a tough, tough day. And we got talking and um, she asked me, are you married? You have children. How are you going to be spending Thanksgiving? Just some surface talk. And I said, yeah, I've been married. She said, for how long? And I said, 21 years. And she said, wow. And um, she just was like blown away by that. And we got talking about that and and she said something that just meant a lot to me. She said, I can just tell in just the short time that we've had together um, that you love your wife and that you're a good dad. And people are watching. People are watching. They watch your words and how you treat others and how you treat your spouse, how you treat your your children. It's a part of this endurance. Keep loving, keep giving, keep sacrificing because God will... Bless your commitment to each other, and the world will take note. Paul is saying we must remember that making Jesus Lord of our life means obeying him in every area of life. And there are going to be challenges for doing so. We will face those challenges on a regular basis, and this should not surprise us. Because Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, if the world hates you, keep in mind... It hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. In other words, if you were like the world, the world will accept you like its own, but you're not. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, They will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Friends, remember this there is no crown without a cross, there is no reward without a risk or sacrifice, and there is no victory without a battle. All of us wonder when going through dark times if it's worth it. But Paul says it is. It wasn't that long ago, I think just a few months ago, Roger, if I'm correct, you had told me about the Apostle Paul movie um, that was out in the the theaters for just a short time and encouraged me to go and I went. And it's showed the life of Paul and showed these parts that I'm talking about this morning. and I was just blown away by the endurance that Paul had despite all the things that he went through. And I thought about in my own life, times when maybe I've gotten hurt in the church and I felt like giving up. You know what I'm talking about? Or things that didn't happen the way that I thought they should in the time period that I thought they should. Or God didn't answer my prayers in the way that I had envisioned he would. And how at those times that, you know, to be honest, I thought, man, is this worth it? And then you look at someone like the Apostle Paul and being shipwrecked and beaten and um, all the things imprisoned, being chained. And you think, here's a man up until his final breath didn't give up. What an example of endurance. What an example of endurance! You know, um, one of the verses, and I've I've said this many times, and my wife quotes it off often. Paul said in Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight, and this is a verse that we've just kept. It's one of those ones that you put on a post-it note, or you would just love to have as a screensaver on your computer. In all things, God works for good of those who love them. God works for good. He doesn't work for bad for you. He loves you. He's a good father. He works for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. He doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what's best. Thank God we do and don't know the future. You know what I'm talking about? Thank God we do, but we don't know the future. In life, there are many things we don't know. We don't know the future of the economy. We don't know when and where terrorists will, you know, set off their next bombs. We don't know when or where the next natural disaster or what it will be will happen. We don't know the moment our life will end. However, thank God we can endure anyway because we do know the future. We do know as believers what comes last and what comes after that. The Bible tells us that at an unspecified time in the future, a time known only by God, Jesus Christ will return to this earth and bring history to an end. That we do know. We do know that he will separate the people who have believed in him from those who have not. Those who have rejected him, the Bible tells us, will be cast out forever into the lake of fire. But those who have believed in him will be with him forever in eternity in perfected bodies in a new heaven and new earth. This we do know. That is the future that God has revealed to us, and it is enough, period. It is enough to give us confidence that one day, our sorrows will come to an end, that our tears will be wiped away, and that the trials we encounter today are but light and momentary in comparison to that great day. This we do know. Until that great, Paul Paul is calling us to endure and cling cling to the powerful promises that have been given in the Word, like the one I just read from Romans 828, which leads me to my second point. And Paul would say this to you. Keep reading the Bible. Keep studying the Scriptures. Keep hiding them in your heart. Keep reading. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17, Paul writes this. From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul, you were brought up in a godly household, You have been taught the scriptures. You have been taken to Awana. How many you know what I'm talking about this morning? You have been put into kids' station, kids' ministry. From infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says, all scripture, not some, not the portions that you like, but also the portions you don't like. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Underline useful in verse 16. If all Scripture is useful, then the Christian life without Scripture is useless. You see, the Bible equips the believer for every good work. And the importance of Scripture to Paul was huge. So he passed that on to Timothy. If you and I are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to live our lives in ways that are pleasing to him in this fallen, sin-filled world, then we need to be equipped. We need to be taught. We need to be rebuked at times, corrected, and trained in righteousness. So we need to keep reading. We need to keep studying scripture. When we're confused and depressed or frustrated and disappointed, we turn to the Bible. The Bible is our guide for life. Not Hollywood stars. Not The View. Not Oprah. Not CNN or Fox News. Not our ever-changing feelings, desires, and emotions. Not experience. Not tradition. The Bible is our sore sole source of authority. It's the rock. It's the foundation on which we build our lives. It tells us how to work. It tells us how to have a good marriage, Robin. It tells us how to deal with conflict. It tells us how to love one another and how to love those that are not like us, how to love our enemies. It tells us how to lay down our lives for others. It tells us how to parent. It tells us how to be a good husband, a good man, a good woman, a good wife. It tells us all the things that we need to know and to do to live a good life, a righteous life. In 2012, there was a research study commissioned by the American Bible Society and conducted by Barner Research that revealed some good news and some bad news about Bible reading and biblical literacy in America. And I want to give you the good news first says so 85% of households own at least one Bible with a household average of 4.3 Bibles. I always love it when it's like 0.3. It's like, hmm, I found the fourth one, but I can't find that 0.3 one laying around the house. 69% of Americans believe the Bible provides answers on how to live a meaningful life. But here's the bad news. 36% of Americans read the Bible less than 1% year less than once a year 36 percent of americans read the bible less than once a year 79 percent of those who surveyed believe they are knowledgeable about the bible but 54 percent were unable to identify the first five books of the bible this one is so perplex perplexing 46 percent believe the bible the quran and the book of mormon are different expressions of the same spiritual truths. Survey participants also indicated that their biggest frustration about reading the Bible is that they never really had time to read it. How many know that you have to make time? You have to schedule it. We have to read the Bible if we're going to be equipped to obey Jesus. Friends, living in, in a sinful, fallen world, it's the only thing that's going to keep us grounded. It's the only thing that's going to keep us from falling into the enemy's traps and lies. You have to know your word, you have to hide it in your heart, you have to teach it to your children and grandchildren. Third, Paul says, Timothy, keep enduring, keep reading the word, and next, keep preaching. Keep preaching. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. He gives him a charge. With authority, he says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared in season and out of season. I was thinking about that, and it doesn't necessarily just have to do with time. It has to do with this, whether you feel like it or not, preach the word. How many know that there's been times where God has brought a divine appointment to you, opportunity for you to share the gospel with someone? I know this has happened to me, and there's been times where it's been as clear as day, but I'm like, I just don't want to do it right now. And I read the scriptures, and I see that Jesus was there too, but he did it. Remember the disciples? Lord, we're hungry. Tell these people to go away. How many would say that that was kind of out of season? They were tired. And they left at times and went and sought food, and Jesus stayed there and preached, shared the gospel, the woman at the well. Disciples come back. said, Lord, what are you you doing? And he said, man, you got your subs, you got your burger and fries, but that's not the food that I eat of. That's not what nurtures me. This is what nurtures me, being about my father's business and preaching the word of God. In season and out of season, 1 Peter 3.15 says we must always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I think that is so good. I would underline that, gentleness and respect. Not you have to repent right now or you're going to go to heaven, you know, hell, you know. But with respect and gentleness. What has God done in your life? What is the things that you're thankful for? What has God brought you out of and brought you into? Those are the things that God wants you to share with others. Lastly, Paul says, keep pouring. 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. What does that mean? I've already... I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Talks about being poured out. Well, back in ancient Rome, whenever there was a banquet, the banquet commonly concluded with a particular ritual and the symbolic act of pouring out on the ground a cup of wine in honor of the Roman gods, the pagan gods. So Paul is borrowing from that tradition that everyone was acquainted with something that was familiar to them. And he was describing his life as an offering being poured out not for some pagan god but for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In effect, he is saying, and I want you to hear these words, he's saying the Roman authorities will not take my life. Just like Jesus, I will die living life and giving my life. I will be a living sacrifice. I will complete that sacrifice by laying down my life for the one who gave his life for me. Like a drink offering, I am pouring out my life for Christ. Basically, Paul is saying to Timothy and to you and I, keep pouring, don't give up, keep on keeping on. That's how you'll experience the abundant life Promise to you. That's how you will make an eternal difference in this world. Make your everyday life a living sacrifice to your Heavenly Father. Keep doing that and you will finish well. How many want their life to count for something? How many want to leave a legacy behind of something good? We are called to be world changers. So follow the example of the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy faced all kinds of disasters and all kinds of adversity, and yet he did not give up. He didn't compromise. He finished and lived his life for Jesus. I find it very interesting that at the time of Paul's final imprisonment, Nero, the emperor of Rome, was very popular. If it were today, he would be on the cover of every other magazine. Nero would have had a large following on social media. In contrast, Paul would have been seen as this old, odd, ultra-conservative religious fanatic who couldn't stop talking about this Jesus of Nazareth, proclaiming him as the son of the one true living God to everyone he came in contact with. And while Paul's death was imminent, Nero was on this fast track to stardom. Nero was hot. Paul was not. Nero was a hero. Paul was a zero. But that's not how things eventually turned out. Four years after the death of Paul, at around 28 years of age, Nero took his life. Today, Nero is known as a man who displayed extreme cruelty. He is famous as being a very evil man. Nero did not end well. And because of this, you will not find a cathedral dedicated or named after Nero. But how many know that there's many cathedrals dedicated and named after Paul? You will never hear somebody naming their child Nero. But how many know I've met a lot of Pauls? People named their kids after Paul, and they named their pit bulls and Rottweilers after Nero. <laughs> Nero was on the path to greatness. Paul was on a path to defeat. But Paul ended up great, and Nero ended up defeated. This is because Paul kept enduring. Paul kept reading. Paul kept preaching. And Paul kept pouring his day to day life out in sacrifice to Jesus. It it was because Paul lived right and finished well. See friends, the Christian life is more of a marathon than it is a sprint. And the celebration comes at the end. Man, I have to remind myself of that all the time. Lance, this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. You're going to get cramped. You're going to get dehydrated along the way. You're going to have to pick yourself up and find energy from somewhere to keep going. You're going to think about giving up. You're going to talk to yourself because you have to. There's going to be people on the sidelines cheering, come on, you can do it, you can do it. You'll have to convince yourself that you can. It reminds me of the, my football days We called it the fourth quarter spirit. A coach would say, put up your four fingers. It's fourth quarter time. Whether you win or lose, it's fourth quarter. You need to know that you left everything out there on the field. And I remember being bruised and tired and, and feeling like giving up, but we'd be there together in the huddle, and there was something about being with your football family, your brothers in that huddle encouraging one another and saying, you can do it. I believe in you. We're going to run this play. Rach, you're going to do this. So and so, you're going to do that. Let's do it. And then we would, you know, root, yeah, and go out there. To me, that's a picture of the Christian life. It's a marathon. The Bible says that there's a cloud of witnesses rooting, saying, you can do it. Those who went on before us grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, spiritual saints. You can do it. It's worth it. Keep going. Keep running. Keep enduring. Keep preaching. In the 1984 Summer Olympic Games in Los Angeles, it was the year that they first allowed the women to run the Olympic marathon. One of the runners was Gabriella Anderson. She's As as you'll see in a video clip in just a moment, by the time she entered the stadium to complete the final 400 meters of the 26.2 mile run, her body had shut down. She was frightened. She was fatigued. She was dehydrated, nearly paralyzed from heat exhaustion. She struggled to stay upright. There were doctors um, on on the sidelines just waiting to step in and hold her up. She was waving them off because if they would touch her, she would automatically be disqualified, she knew. Everything was within her pushing to get past that finish line. Let's watch this short clip of her making that last lap and and crossing the finish line.
1: My big worry was the the heat and the humidity. You just try to to put it aside and just concentrate on your race. My head and everything was still functioning. I, I knew where I had to go and through dehydration, you, your, body up. your body cramps up. I kind of told myself, tried to keep running, tried to stay upright. My muscles just didn't respond. I knew if I would stop or sit down, that would be the end of it. I just was determined to make it to that finish line.
0: that's how I envision the Christian race. It's not always easy. It's not always pretty. And it's not whether you come in first. It's the fact that you didn't give up and that you crossed the line so that you can hear those good those words from your father. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Judah's going to come and lead us in the song, Reckless Love, talking about the love of our Father, the one that we do it all for, who's our ultimate example of not giving up, going to the cross for us. Aren't you glad this morning that there's not a temptation or a feeling or sickness that we can endure that Christ didn't endure? But yet he took all that upon himself. He relates with us. He knows the pain that we feel. And yet we have a home on the other side of that finish line with him, perfected bodies in glory, as we're going to talk about next week. Let's sing this song together and just think on those words from the Apostle Paul. Keep enduring. Keep reading. Keep preaching. Keep pouring the same together. And I
1: could This is my story This is my
0: Picture of Gabriella. Just thinking about some of you. Just thinking about Pastor Glenn. Your basement gets flooded. You have a sore on your foot that you go to urgent care and you think it's taken care of and it turns into an infection and they're talking maybe even amputation then there's others of you too a diagnosis cancer your kids are hurting what do you do with all that you keep enduring keep running the race keep reading the word putting in the practice the promises and claiming those promises and holding your Father to them. Keep preaching, not just on a Sunday morning, but you preach with your life and how you go through those things. You keep pouring your life out every day as a living sacrifice. I think the hardest thing is as parents, when you see your kids kind of running, gimpy in the race, overwhelmed, exhausted, and you want to come in and and help them, rescue them. But you have to stay on the sidelines just kind of encouraging them. Because the Bible says that we're all, there's a, a race that's been marked out for all of us. And we're to run that race with perseverance. We each have a race that we're running. We're each living out this Christian life in a different way. Preaching in different environments. Sacrificing in different environments. Different people. You weren't meant to run the race of the person next to you. And they weren't meant to run your race. But we're each running our own race. But we all have our eyes on the prize. We're all going to cross the same finish line. And we're all going to spend eternity in the same heaven. What is God speaking to you this morning? what your ESE challenged you in. We're going to do like we did last week. I'm going to give the benediction. The pastoral team is on both sides of the auditorium, and they want to meet with you and pray with you, but we're going to do that so that you don't have to contend with sound. You don't have to contend with coming up in front of your peers, do anything embarrassing in that sense. But if you want someone to agree with you this morning in prayer, I encourage you, I challenge you, Whenever there's an opportunity, when I was in my teens, my home church growing up, I remember I would make it a point to go to the altar every Sunday and pray. Or to pray with someone. Because we're in this together, amen? We're brothers and sisters in the family of God. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for what you are doing, what you are speaking. Thank you for the endurance. We thank you for the models, Lord, that you've given us in this church body individuals, Lord, that keep enduring despite hard circumstances, Lord. Great examples for us, Lord, to look upon. And Lord, examples for us to be to others too, Lord. Thank you, Father, for that great cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on in this race. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are not left alone, but we have you and your Holy Spirit that is guiding us, strengthening us every day. And we thank you for your grace to run this race together, no matter what this world throws at us. We know that we have victory in you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray this morning that you go with us and that you give us the grace to keep running this race together. In Jesus' name. Let's extend our hands for the benediction this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And friends, may he give you peace, but not as the world gives, but supernatural peace. Amen. Encourage you to to find someone and and pray with them this morning. Pray with one of the pastoral team members. The service is concluded. We just encourage you to seek the Lord and respond to him. And don't forget, next week we're going to conclude with a story message on heaven. Amen. God bless you.